All right, we're going to jump into our scripture for today. So if you brought your Bible, uh, turn to the first book of the Bible. And um, we're going to be talking today about a father's son camping trip where they were camped out for three days. So this is the book of Genesis, chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Uh, it's our custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. So I just want to invite you, wherever you are, uh, to just bow your heads. Bow your heads with me as we go into the preaching of God's word. Well, Lord, we slow down right now. We breathe deeper. And we breathe you in, Lord. We breathe your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We breathe that in deeply right now. And we slow down our thoughts. We slow down our bodies. We slow down our hearts so that we can pause and so we can hear from you, Lord, today. God, I am not enough. <laughs> I am exceptionally limited, and I need your help today, Lord. God, I tried as best as I could to make as many connections and as many, uh, as many helpful, sticky things that people can remember, but only you, God, can take one message and, and transform it into every single circumstance, every single heart that's in this room. Only you can do that. So God, I ask you to do it again. And Lord, I, I ask that you would soften our hearts right now. God, your word says that only you can soften hearts. And so God, I just ask that you would do that. That you would make our hearts moldable and malleable, that you would change us. That you would make us different as we're leaving than as when we were coming in. God, we need you. We need your help. We need your word. We need you to speak. And Jesus, we call you enough. You are more than enough. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said a good amen. Amen. All right, I got to know. Um, who really likes tests or who is really good at tests? Anybody in the room? One, two, uh, three. Well, I, need to, I need to get some pointers from you all. But for everybody else, tests suck. Am I right? Tests are awful. Um, I hate tests. I, uh, 
My wife is really good at tests. She didn't raise her hand because she's just so humble. But um, she's really good at tests. My oldest brother is brilliant. Like he has like eidetic memory, like that kind of thing. Like I think he got like a 36 on his ACT and like national merit semifinalist. So he was my older brother. So I have really no chance, I feel like, (laughs) to make my parents proud. Um, But uh, even my middle brother, he can like memorize, like memorize, uh, you know, like sports trivia. He's like, what did Barry Bonds hit in 2002? And he'd be like, oh, it was 304. I'm like, what? Why? Why did God gift you with that? But then God just um, helps me to work really hard. (laughs) Uh, But as I was preparing for today, I was reminded of a test that I've had to take in the last two years. Um, And uh, I've had to take it twice. Uh, So this test twice in the last two years. Uh, And this this test is incredibly easy on paper, but it is uh, extremely and excruciatingly difficult and humbling in practice. So I promise you, everyone in here and online, you would get 100% on this test. I promise you. So we're going to take it together in just a moment. There's, there's four or five questions when I took it both times, and, but I'm just going to give you one of the questions. And if you answer this question right, basically all of the questions, you'll, you'll get them all right. So here's the question that I've, I, had to, I had to answer two times in the last two years. Here it is. You ready? You ready? All right, here it is. Should you shake a baby? Please say no. You all hesitated. That was awkward. I'm going to say it again. Should you shake a baby? Thank God. Oh, my gosh. Online, type that in the chat just so we know that you're not a person who shakes babies. Um, like I said, this is a, a really easy thing to understand in, in, on paper, right? But it's a more excruciating and humbling experience in practice. <laughs> and I want to take you back to uh, this, this last month, a week in July, where Ira, our six-month-old, spent more time awake at night than he did asleep. And this week in particular, Ira had just started teething. Awesome. And uh, he also uh, was a little bit sick. He was stuffed up. We had to use one of those nose free to things, you know what I'm saying? It's, the, it's, the, it's like a little vacuum you, you pull or you suck in and you put it up to his nose. It's weird. What a weird thing. But it really helps. Um, but it's weird. And then uh, he was also having uh, what they call a six-month sleep regression. And I just got to stop on the regressions here just for a second. Just because every childhood book or child, parenting book and every uh, pediatrician uh, says, you know, like there's going to be a four-month sleep regression or there's going to be a five-month sleep regression or there's going to be a six. Here's, here's what's going to be helpful. All the pediatricians online and in the room, uh, just tell, tell the people that your kid's not going to sleep. Just tell them that. It, they're not, it's not going to be consistent or inconsistent. They're just not going to sleep. That's, that's more helpful than saying that there's, okay, I'm, I'm done with the regressions thing. But, um, but one of those nights at the end of this long stretch uh, was exp- exceptionally frustrating. And, you know, I was trying to rock him back to sleep, and he was just screaming, just screaming, like probably like 100 decibels, just right in my face, um, nonstop for what seemed like hours. And I was exhausted. Uh, I was at the end of myself. I was exceptionally frustrated. And that's when I thought, so this is why they tell you not to shake your baby. <laughs> and before I go any further, I can see the look of disdain in your, in your face and the judgment from some of you in your eyes. But uh, just remember, I passed the test twice 
We did it. We're doing great. But it was, it was a moment where I was so exhausted and so at the end of myself, bless you. This is the best place to sneeze because you got like 200 people to say bless you. Um, <laughs> that was really dumb. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? Okay. Um, but, um, but this was a moment in my life where I was confronted with my limitations. And I was confronted with the thought that I was not enough or was never going to be or do enough in this moment to meet his needs. Uh, this was a moment when I was saying to myself and saying to Ira, enough is enough. And that's the title for today. If you're taking notes, write that down. We're going to be going over this theme for the next 30 minutes or so. It's enough is enough. And I need your help today. Can you, can you preach back to me today? Can we, can we make this a, a, a dialogue and not a monologue? All right. Thank you for your help today. And this is what I imagine Abraham was feeling in the moment of testing. And this is what we read in Genesis 22.1. It's what says in my Bible is sometime later, God tested Abraham. At the top of my Bible too, you can see uh, it says Abraham tested. That was the, the title of this, this heading. And I want to take a moment just to have a de definition of terms. That's, I really like definitions. And so I just want to take a moment to define wilderness or what, what is a wilderness season? Because all over the Bible, there's wilderness stories and, and wilderness seasons that people would go through. And it's equated to God-ordained testing. So wilderness testing. And we can find this all over Scripture. Even Jesus, the Son of God, was right before his earthly ministry started, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And probably all of us would say that we don't really, except for one, two, and you, you three, this message is not for you, uh, but everybody else, <laughs> we would all say that we don't really want the pressure of a test. But we would say that we want the benefits or the results that testing produces. So is there anyone today like me who really needs more hope <laughs> right now, especially in this season uh, right now? Or maybe you're, you're the person, maybe you're like me, that you need perseverance or grit to be able to get through the seemingly hopeless and difficult seasons. Well, two of my life verses say this about testing and about the results of testing. Romans 5, 3 through 4, 3 and 4 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because in our sufferings, we know it produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope. That's the result. And, and then my, my, one of my other life verses is James 1, 2 through 4. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Man, I'd feel your pain. <laughs> I'm with you. We can talk afterwards. Um, here's, the tr here's the truth about those two scriptures, is we can't get the qualities we want in us without the questions God asks of us. We can't get the traits 
without the test. We can't get the promise without the wilderness. And one of the questions this whole series has been answering is it's not a question of if we'll experience or go through a wilderness season, but it's a question of when, and more importantly, how will we respond? So I want to help you today with how to respond in these wilderness seasons. And I want to keep solidifying definitions. So we just learned more about the why, the results of wilderness, but let's learn more, a little bit more about the what. In the first two weeks of this series, we, we talked about the Hebrew people um, who are descendants of Abraham in our scripture for today who had just escaped slavery in Egypt. They were in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, the frosted flakes. Do you remember this? It was great. I love that. It was, I, I won't even make the joke. He made the joke. It was great. But they were in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. So simply in this case, there are three stages to God's development plan for your life. There's Egypt, there's wilderness, and then there's promise. This is the development plan that God uses in every one of his believers' lives to develop them, to refine them, to make them more like him. So I'm gonna give you some different words, maybe some different handles on how you can, you can understand this. So the first thing is restrictions. We have restrictions, we're bound. They were slaves in Egypt. And then there was refinement. There was purification. There was an alignment of ideals in the wilderness. And that brought about renewal. But we can't get from restrictions to renewal without refinement. Refinement is necessary. But let's just be real for a second uh, and acknowledge the suck. This is something I've been trying to do in my life more. I don't do this as well as I need to, is acknowledging the very difficult things in my life. But the wilderness sucks. It sucks. It's awful, except for you three. (laughs) But refinement and pressure are really easy to talk about when you're on either side of it. Proverbs 17.3 says, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Silver and gold are awesome. They're awesome to hold, to look at, to wear. But something that we don't acknowledge enough is that the furnace is hot. The wilderness in testing is painful. It's confusing. It's disorienting. It's humbling. And maybe you're in that place right now. And maybe you've been in that place, or I know all of us will be in that place. Maybe you feel like that you've been there for a long time, months, or even years, a wilderness season. It's, it's not where you, you aren't where you were, but you aren't where you are called, where you feel like God is calling you to either. You're in this middle. And that's exactly where we find Abraham in our story today is But you have to know the context of this story of what he's been through for how long he's been through it to know the depth of how difficult this test would have been for him. And this is something to remember is the more difficult the test, the more important the thing God wants to reveal in you. So if you're in a difficult season, it's really important what God's trying to teach you. And the first mention of Abraham in the Bible was in Genesis 11. And we're in 22, so there's this 11 chapters from when he was first mentioned to when he was at the mountain. So 
they list out a huge gene- genealogy of how Abraham was born, how he came to be, but he was Abram then, and how he came into the picture. And so Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abram directly and tells him to leave everything and everyone he's ever known and go to the land that he promised him. So going from Ur to the promised land, that's chapter 12. And that's also when God makes the promise for the first time that he's going to have a son, a flesh and blood son. So remember that. That's the first promise. After a huge move, this was 1,500 miles from the land of Ur to the promised land. Abram built an altar to the Lord. He celebrated. He finally reached the promised land that God has talked about. And in chapter 15, God spoke again to Abraham, assuring him for the second time, second time, that he was going to have a son. He was going to have descendants. He was going to have heirs. And scripture actually said that God led him outside and told him the promise a second time by telling him to count the stars, so shall your offspring be. Then in Genesis chapter 17, God even changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram meaning exalted father to Abraham, the father of many. So this is the third time. Genesis 17 was the third time. There's three times God told him and confirmed and spoke this promise over his life. Then finally in chapter 21, one chapter before we read today, Sarah, his wife, gave birth to their first child, Isaac. Now the important part of this context between these 10, 11 chapters is that it was 25 years. 25 years from the first time God had promised Abraham to have a child to the actual birth of their son, Isaac. 25 years years of waiting, of listening, of trying to be obedient. And after all of that time of waiting, God tested Abraham with the very thing that he promised to give him. And one thing that struck me from this text for today is one thing that I didn't really notice in this story was in verse three and four. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. This is the part. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. The third day, three days, they journeyed from Beersheba to, they traveled north to this Mount Moriah that God led him to. Three days, 60 or so miles Now, some of this wasn't abnormal for Abraham, though. Like I said, it was 1,500 miles that Abraham was told to go, and God will show. That that, that wasn't new. The thing that was new was the company during this trip that was new. He had to travel around 50 to 60 miles over three days with his son. The promise fulfilled, the one to be put on the altar. Abraham Abraham would have had to sleep next to eat next to, and talk to Isaac on this three-day journey. That blew my mind this week. This promise, he had waited 25 years, three days leading up to this mountain in this moment. So there's one more way to define a wilderness experience or testing, and that's what is illuminated or revealed in us as a result of testing. So one purpose of testing is to determine and identify what are our limitations. So testing, we learn through testing what knowledge we have enough of and what knowledge we don't have enough of. The point of testing is to understand our limitations. 
So in a moment where Abraham is in a lot of ways would have been justified in saying, all of us probably would say he's justified in saying, enough is enough, God. God wanted to help him understand the definition of enough. God used this test to reveal to Abraham his limits. So one of the incredible benefits of wilderness seasons is God is teaching us what is enough. But let's ask the question, why does God need to do this? Why does God need to teach us what enough is? It's because we naturally want to find enough everywhere but where enough is. And I'll say it this way. It's, it's one of the quintessential parts of the human condition and experience, and this is actually how God wired us, to look for enough, to try to find enough. It's purposeful design. This is what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. It, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. As we are made in the very image of God, and part of that design is having heaven in your heart. So what that means is that we have an insatiable need for infinite locked up inside of us. We have this intense desire to find something that is enough to fill the eternity that is in our heart. So think about it this way. Have you ever felt this before? I've felt it, all of these. Is, have you ever felt like if you just had another job, that would be enough. If you had just this amount of money, then that would be enough. If I had these many likes or this many followers or this many employees or this many team members, that would be enough if my kids would just sleep in the name of Jesus. That would be enough. <laughs> that would be enough. Have you ever felt that? that want for enough, that searching, that insatiable need for infinite or limitlessness. We crave it. We want more. We want to finally feel like it's enough or that we are enough. But the tension comes and what wilderness seasons illuminate in our lives is our natural tendency to fill the limitless need we have in our heart with the limited things around us. limitless with limited. So Ignatius of Loyola, a Spanish priest, 17th century, said it this way in his writings on spiritual exercises. He said, the goal of our life is to live with God forever. God, who loves us, gave us life. Our own response of love allows God's life to flow into us without, without limit. All the things in this world are gifts of God presented to us that we can know God more easily and make a return of love more readily. As a result, we appreciate and use all these gifts of God insofar as they help us develop as loving persons. This is the important part. Read this and, and let it sink. But if any of these gifts become the center of our lives, they displace God and so hinder our growth toward our goal. In other words, our natural response to the promises God has given us in our life is to confuse the blessing with the blesser. We put the expectation of the heaven we can't see on the things heaven gave us that we can see. That's the natural response. That's part of who we are. But we're designed to want it. We're designed 
to try to get enough. But we try to find enough in the promises and blessings God has given us rather than finding it in the one who is enough. And that's where we left off in Genesis 22, 6 through 8. After they had just arrived at the mountain, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And in these uh, four or five verses, I just want you to notice two things. Two things that I didn't notice until this week is in verse five, I, th- I believe it's verse five, Abraham didn't say, we will worship and I will come back to you alone. He said, we will worship and we will come back. I never, th- I never saw that before. And then the other thing that I noticed is in verse 8, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the truth is, God didn't want Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar of the mountain, but God wanted Abraham to place Isaac on the altar of his heart. That's the truth. It's important to know that in Abraham's life, before God had delivered on his promise by giving him Isaac, Abraham was in a cycle of a mindset and actions where he himself was hyper-independent and he, Abraham, needed to be the source of enough in his life. And one of these instances that comes to my mind, one of the instances I want to talk to you about is right after the second time of three times God had promised him, And in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham took things into his own hands and agreed to a plan to get their child through, uh, a plan through getting their Egyptian servant Hagar pregnant rather than his wife, Sarah. And this was a plan Abraham agreed to in his own abilities, in his own strength, and his own wisdom. And that's why verse 8 is so significant to me. Because in this wilderness testing, God had started to refine and teach Abraham that God himself will be the one to provide the answer. Abraham no longer had to be his own source of enough. And God revealed to Abraham and taught him his limitations and strengthened his conviction that God is enough. And that's what he's been hungry for and looking for all along. And the lesson that we need to learn in the wilderness is that the testing of God isn't to change our circumstances, but it's to change our mind. The lessons in the wilderness are to help us not change our circumstances. That can change, but it's more. The the main purpose is to change our heart change our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So that's the pattern of this world. It's our pattern we can naturally get into, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
because something that God knows infinitely more than us and wants to teach us so desperately and refine in us is that progress is impossible without change and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. And we could be in a moment where we are saying, enough is enough, God. And God doesn't want us to put our circumstance up on the altar, but our thoughts in our heart. And the situations in our lives are, are relatively easy to change. And sometimes, maybe you've done this, I've done this, we've, we've manipulated wilderness seasons to get out of them early or try to get out of them early. But scripture says that only God can soften hearts. So that's how God confronted me when I read this story uh, last January, this January, 2023 is one of the ways that I had always, I had always tried to fill the insatiable need for infinite was with my job, with my calling. And I have to clarify that I'm literally in my dream job. I love my job. It's, it is walking in answer prayer to be able to disciple, coach, develop men and women to become more like Jesus and become better leaders and, and lead better teams that love Jesus and to create meaningful art while I do that. that what, I couldn't even ask for a better job. And there have been several moments in my five years of being a pastor here, which is crazy, it's been five years, but that I've wanted to quit, just give up and literally do anything else with my life. I, I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit brought me back to this time when I wanted to quit and uh, I love Panda Express. Don't judge me. Um, and I was going to Panda Express, and, uh, and right outside the door, uh, there was a sign that says, we're hiring general managers, and it was going to pay more money. It was going to seemingly be easier, and I could just have Panda Express all the time. I was like, this is it. God, you showed me a sign. Um, but uh, I don't work at Panda Express, and I work here still. Um, but I was on a prayer walk, around that time, and I was crying out to God for help. And it's one of the few times where in my life, it's only been maybe one or two times, this might, this might be it, where I felt like I heard the audible voice of God. And he said, stay. Just one word, stay. And the thing about it is he didn't take the blessing away. He didn't take my job away. I'm still working here. Panda Express is lost. But he offered something better. He brought me back to the one who is enough. He didn't change my circumstances, but he healed me of my addiction to work and my addiction to the adrenaline of deadlines and, and needing everything to be perfect or just right. He taught me that I can do enough. I, it's possible. You, I can do enough and I can be enough if I worship the one who is more than enough. And there was healing there. But in January, this passage hit me in a different way. And I haven't, I haven't ever read or studied this passage of Scripture while I've had children. And while I've healed so much and I'm still healing from relying on the earthly purpose, my job, and it's a continual thing that I'm working out, what God showed me is that I, that I just moved that need onto my family. 
that expectation and that need for enough was just placed in a different place. And the questions that came about while I was reading this scripture and I fell on my face in front of God is, could I put my marriage? Could I, could I put my daughter or my new son on the altar if God asked me to? Could, could I do it? And the story goes on in verse 9. It says, When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your only son, your only begotten son. And in verse 12, it says, now that I know that you fear God, and this is an, another one of those lessons I have in my note on my phone, is I have always, and I still have this misconception, I'm still working it out, is I have this misconception as to what the difference between human fear and holy fear is because they're different. Scripture says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So wisdom, intelligence and wisdom are also similar but not the same. Intelligence is knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Intelligence is knowing what you know and wisdom is, is knowing that you don't know anything. (laughs) Wisdom is knowing what you don't know. It's knowing your limitations. Wisdom is knowing what is enough. Another word for holy fear is is a heightened or vivid awareness. Awareness. So perfect and holy fear is the awareness of the Lord and the awareness of what is enough. So in response to this change of mind, this change of enough, Abraham did this in verse 14. It says, So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And this was significant for me because the mountain that signified the death of his promise turned into the place where he called the Lord will provide. It is the same mountain, but a new meaning. The same place, but a new name. Same person, but a new heart. And this is where everything shifted from enough is enough, God, to God is enough, which is enough. It was the same mountain, the same circumstances, but because of testing, God flipped it. He turned it around. I love that we sang that today. God flipped it from enough is enough to enough is enough. There's also another extremely significant aspect of this mountain, and that's the geography of it, where it is. So this is Mount Moriah. That's what they called it when Abraham led his son son Isaac to sacrifice him there. But this is the same geographical location and mount as Golgotha 
outside of Jerusalem where Jesus was hung and crucified. The same place. And in verse 13, this is what it says right after the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. It says, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. It's on his head. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So the Lord will provide. So the Hebrew, this is what I thought was interesting. Is the Hebrew word for thicket in this passage is sabach, which means a dense growth of trees or shrubs, thorns or brambles, thorns. So instead of Abraham sacrificing his only begotten son, the long-awaited blessing in his life, God provided him a lamb with a crown of thorns to take his place. On the third day of Abraham and Isaac's journey, God provided the place that would make it possible for the lamb of God to be risen on the third day. So it's not what is, it's not what is enough that needs to change, but who is enough. Jesus is enough. And enough is enough.